0: Thank you all for singing out together, for giving from your hearts, and for putting the Lord first on this Sunday morning. If you've got a Bible, we are going to be in Matthew 10 in just a little while. We are um, glad to be here, glad to open our Bibles together. You know, I mentioned last week uh, that, we, that our worship services have a very specific purpose, and I think we probably can remember what those were. Um, we, we said last week that our goal for every week is to confirm God is trustworthy, so that we might, we as individuals we might affirm our trust, our faith in God. That's the goal of every week. So if we didn't make that clear last week, I want to make that clear because that's why we do what we do. That's what drives us. That's the responsibility that every church is tasked with when conducting a service for God's people, and you're God's people, and that's what makes it so awesome to be here. And I don't just feel that. I don't just think that. That's not just my opinion. I believe the Bible strongly promotes that as the, the agenda for the church and, and I don't have a verse or a passage really. The whole Bible, I mean the whole book uh, really is all about this. And here's the amazing thing about the Bible. There was no production meeting uh, with all the different authors uh, in order to plan out this cohesive vision for what they set out to write. That would have, of course been impossible uh, because the 40 some different authors who contributed to the Bible all wrote across a 2000-ish year period of history. Uh, so they couldn't have met ahead of time because they wrote all different times throughout that, that period of history. And in every passage, every passage, whether it's the books of the law, the prophets, poetry, the gospels, the church letters, all of these books and all of the text in them serve these two purposes, to push these two agendas, to confirm our God as trustworthy and faithful so that we might affirm our trust and faith in him, to build up God, to exalt him. And to build up our faith in him. And it's pretty amazing that all the books all across that period of time, not to mention the cultures and languages that were different, they all carry the same voice. That's what you call inspiration, I think. Uh, Every church is tasked to lead people to God, to lead God's people. And this is best accomplished by preaching the word and singing songs, of course, that goes back to this agenda, that build up God, that build up faith. God is trustworthy, so you should and you can confidently trust in him. Now, I, I bring this up because the church has, has seen the world change so much in its time on the mission field called Earth. Uh, yet its purpose remained the same over the last 2,000 years. And as a pastor... I see my place in our country, in our time, with our experience as requiring me to consider our current circumstances while seeking to accomplish this goal that God has laid on our shoulders. And I think God expects church leaders to accomplish this goal, not ignoring what's going on around us, but by addressing and speaking to what's going on in the world around us to counter whatever other voices and other agendas are coming after us. This, if you're wondering... This is why we are doing a series called Jesus 2020 and talking about Jesus and his kingdom while we as a country are facing an election and all that comes along with it. People talk about separating politics and religion and that's really impossible uh, because our faith and God's faithfulness intersects with the rest of our lives and the world. And while this series isn't about how or who to vote for, it is about bringing a greater and clearer voice to the issues that matter most to us as Americans and, and also as Christians. But we've learned along the way the issues that sway and swing our votes are actually more navigable and are less burdensome when we bring them under the voice and rule of Jesus, when we bring them under the light of our faith, when we bring, under, bring them under the scope of King Jesus. A king who loves us, unlike politicians who don't even so much as know us. I mean, they can't from so far away, of course. But Jesus does indeed love us, and his love never fails. And it's because of his love for us that he wants our whole heart, as we said a few weeks ago. He is our Savior, yes, and He came to earth to campaign to be our King. And we talked, He does not want our votes. He doesn't need our votes. He wants our hearts. He wants our faith. He wants our faithfulness so that He can give us true blessedness, true peace and freedom, and so much more. Now, we've sang about both of these truths this morning, but we also sang something else. We sang out, Whom shall i fear rather declaratively rather boldly didn't we we sing out who shall i fear as if to proclaim that faith gives us courage and confidence against the greatest of unknowns you know there are a lot of promises in god's word A lot of amazing promises, and it'd be kind of foolish to try to say which is more important or which is greater, but I'm going to do that today, so I'm going to be the fool. It would be hard to say, well, this one's better than that one, and this one's more important than that one, but there are a lot of amazing promises, a lot of uh, amazing uh, truths that God gives to the believer, but this might be the greatest this might be the whole ball game. This might be when it comes to God's will for your life, when it comes to God's desire for you, when it comes to the place He wants you to arrive at at the end of the day, when it comes to the end game, the ultimate reward for being a Christian. This is where God wants us to be. This is where Jesus can enable us to be. This is the gift He wants you to get a hold of more than anything else. Now, we often suppose that the end game of following Jesus is to be a better person. Uh, that's part of it, of course. But Jesus never explicitly said, hey, I, fo- I want you to follow me because I want to make you perfect and sinless. He wants us to be without sin, but he never said, hey, my whole goal for you is to be better, even though we'll be better for following him. It's also easy to think that the end game of being a Jesus follower is just somewhere, where we, somewhere we go when we die. It's often, it's easy just to bottle down Christianity and, well, it's just a ticket that we get about heaven. And I still push back and say, I think there's something more than that. Dare I say, better than that. It includes that promise, yes, but it's bigger. Now, maybe you wonder, why would I say that or how could I say that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus does promise that if we are saved, we enter the kingdom of God, no doubt. But as we've learned, the kingdom of God isn't a place we go when we die. It's the reign we live under in a presence we live in when we make Jesus our king here and now. Yes, yes, Christians go to heaven when they die. Absolutely. But what about until we die? Isn't there something that God wants us to have now? Because I don't see anybody signing up saying, hey, let me go ahead and die. No, God saves us and doesn't just shelf us for a reason. He has a purpose for us. He has a calling over us. He's placed us in this world for his glory, for the other people's good. And again, if we're saved, we understand that. We get that. It's not new. But here's why I believe that the end game of following Jesus is bigger than just, you're going to go to heaven when you die, see you later. Because there's a lot of people. There's a lot of Christians who profess that and believe that, and they have it. But there's a disconnect between their heavenly hope and their earthly endurance. As in, as they try to get through this life, it's not going so well. And they know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven, but it's almost as if they're just kind of slogging through this life, wondering what's the purpose of it all. Now, hopefully, most of us, hopefully all of us, believe in something called eternal security now if you don't you should and better yet you can and even if you struggle to believe it don't worry god believes in it so really that's all that matters whether we do or not um but eternal security is a concept it's a truth that says when god saves us when god saves us we are saved period emphasis on god doing the heavy lifting When God intervenes in our life, whether it was a church service, whether it's a family or friend having that conversation with you, helping you understand the bigger picture. Maybe it's an event that you go through where you begin to seek God out and God draws you in. When God brings you into a relationship with Jesus, however your story went, when God brings you into his church, into his family, you're adopted, you're a child of God, and nothing can change that. You might walk away from Jesus, and plenty do. But if you belong to Jesus, you will not be gone too long. Now, plenty of would-be, plenty of thought-about-being believers, plenty of pretenders come and go, and if it's not personal, it's not eternal. It's not real. But if it is personal, it is eternal, and our souls are eternally secure in Him. Now, again, that's awesome, isn't it? We, we don't have to worry about dying, because it could happen to any of us, right? Not to be morbid, it could happen today. We all could face that, that, that point in life or that crossing over. But I still say that being a Jesus follower leads us to something bigger than this. Encompassing, including this, yes, but in concept and practice, it's bigger. What could be bigger though? What is Jesus' desire that every believer of his, every child, every saint, every Christian, what is his desire that you hold close to your heart more than any other promise that we fear not this is the destiny this is the goal this is the end game this is the ideal state for every Christian to arrive at that we could live free from fear that we could fear not and that we would fear not Now, I say this is bigger than the promise of heaven because so many of us believe in heaven, but we don't believe in this. Or we don't believe that it's possible and our lives are living proof of it, isn't it? Aren't they? When we read statements like that out loud, isn't there part of us that just wants to say, that's impossible, Maybe a lot of your hearts right now are reading that, and you're thinking, no, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Justin, we're five minutes in, and I've already shut you off. I can't, I can't hear this because it's not going to happen for me. And I know there's those fake people that seem like they never are afraid, and yeah, you know, good for them, but that's not me. That's not me. And it never will be me. But you believe you're going to go to heaven, and, and, and here's the thing. We believe and will defend heaven and eternal security all day long. But if somebody suggests that you should and that you can, fear not, something says that's impossible. And I wanted to say this, because God loves you, and this is a judgment-free zone. God loves you, and if that's you today, God's heart breaks if you think, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but until I go, I'm stuck in a place of fear. Now, maybe along our journey today, you'll realize that you are afraid of things that you didn't realize you were afraid of because that's kind of my job to prod and pry and try to get us to those places to make us realize, wow, something is trying to get my heart. But maybe you already confess, you know what, fear is a thing. Fear is a big problem for me, and I just kind of accept it. Again, this proves that we still have more of Jesus' promise and power to obtain. And you may walk out this morning with, with a... You know, that was nice Justin, but that's never going to me. I'll never stop preaching this and I'll never stop praying for you and I'll never stop believing. And better than that, God will never stop wishing that this could be your destiny. Because Christians, isn't it true, that in spite of our certain eternal security, we are still dominated and overwhelmed by fear? I'll raise my hand. You don't have to. Isn't this true? That in spite of our eternal security, that nobody can pluck us out of God's hands, we are still dominated in so many ways by fear. Fear of them, fear of those, fear of that, fear of so much. And I'll get specific, don't worry. Fear of knowns, fear of unknowns. And this reveals more than anything, there's still room for us to grow. There's still a work that God wants to do in our heart. There's still a gift that Jesus wants to see you grab a hold of so that you can truly experience what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And this is where it kind of butts heads with the kingdoms of earth. Beyond just promising us us uh, promising us heaven when we die, Jesus wants to see us possess this Fearlessness as long as we live, no matter what we face. Now, I don't think this subject could be any more timely because 2020 has been the year or a year of fear, hasn't it? I mean, go ahead and get it out of the way. The fear of COVID, of a pandemic that started out as an epidemic that wasn't contained and spread around the world. Fear of what does that mean for my life and all the changes, and then you know, we get so focused on it. And then there are people that say, Well, you shouldn't be afraid of that, but those same people have got a different fear throughout this time because there's also been a fear of government control. Because, and not only maybe you're maybe you're afraid of both, I don't know, but there's this fear of this pandemic, and then there's this fear of, Oh no, the government is seizing in on us and sizing up. To take our rights away. And that's a real, I'm not saying that's our real fear. It's, it is for some and for many. And maybe it should be for most. The fear of government control. And you know, y'all got to love me, don't you? Because I'm always an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> I can't leave anybody out. It'd be unfair. But we're not done. Because it's an election year. And if you listen to one side, there's the fear of radical socialism. But if you listen to the other side, there's the fear of this alt-right fascism and tyranny. We roll our eyes at one of those, don't we? Because that's not our party. But never both of them, do we? And if you listen to the candidate on either side, if you listen to the news network that seems to work for either side, they'll tell you that there's a lot to be afraid of, won't they? And don't they? They tell you if they don't win, you should be afraid of one of these. Or the others that we just looked at? And and, and listen, let's get more personal. Deeply personal issues that pose threats to our well-being. Not just America as a nation, but you as individuals that I don't know about and nobody else knows about. When it comes to your physical, emotional, mental well-being and health, there are a lot of things that we're afraid of. But to get broad again... You know, one side says there's this fear of expensive and bad health care. Can there be good health care? I don't know. But there's the fear of bad and expensive health care. And a lot of us have lived that, right? A lot of you have lived that. You saw it go from double to triple to quadruple, and then it got worse as it went. But then there's this fear of no health care. And maybe that's not relevant to you, but it might be. Maybe there's this fear of, you know what, I don't have any to fuss about. Can't get any to complain about because of my conditions, because of my joblessness or whatever. And either side will say, you've got to be afraid of one of these. Or, and then there's this fear of injustice and oppression, which we've seen in some ways, and we've seen blown out of proportion in others, but we've seen, and there's, there's a lot of people who are afraid of the injustice and impre- oppression that they feel like is being kind of aided and, and, and abetted. But then there's a side that says there's this fear of lawlessness. The end game of that is just this chaos And depending on which side of the political fence you land on, you know, somebody tells you there's something to be afraid of. But at the end of the day, you know, we can protect ourselves. But there's some that don't want that, right? Because there's this fear of gun control. And then there's the fear of gun abuse. And there are examples of both being bad. But depending on who's running for office and who you're voting for and who is trying to get your attention, they'll say, You need to be afraid of one of these. And I'm not here to try to take sides. No. I'm representing a different way. And of course there's the fear of vaccines. Do I take it? Or is you know, do I have to just accept that there's no answer whatsoever? And do I hope that I just kinda of get through it and not get, you know, not die? I mean, you know, if you felt good twenty minutes ago, man, we just whoo, you know. I'm sorry, I, I, I was going to go on, but you know we don't have time to deal with the foreign issues, foreign affairs and na- international issues and environmental issues, all the things that deal with your well-being or deal with maybe you care about, maybe you don't care about, maybe you're afraid of, maybe you aren't, but somebody is, and maybe you're afraid of somebody making a big deal about something that doesn't need to be a big deal. These are just a few things that we are told and we feel we should be afraid of and the, there's, that only one side can eliminate the particular threat. Now, let me be very clear. Are some of these, are most of these legitimate concerns? Of course they are. I mean, with regards to COVID, I mean, I don't want to be misquoted on this. Uh, um, it's serious, and it should be taken serious, and we have and will continue to use wisdom and, and put one another first. Of course, we are concerned, and we aren't to be reckless or foolish. With regards to other things, there's reason to be concerned. There's a reason to go out and vote and campaign for your, your, your side. For our well-being, for the well-being of those who may not have a voice for themselves, we must look for ways to love each other and cross the road to that one that maybe is being ignored. We must take these issues serious, and we shouldn't just scoff them off as not being a big deal. But there's a big difference in being concerned and wise and loving and being afraid. Isn't there? And some of us, we crossed that line sometime this year, didn't we? We went from being concerned, we went from trying to be smart, trying to love people, and then we just crossed a line to where we're afraid of the implications of them trying to say this, of this issue. We've just kind of been cornered in a place of fear. We don't know what to do, as if maybe that was somebody's goal the whole time. The difference is we walk in confidence in one versus we walk in bondage in the other. See, we can confidently take precaution and be smart and be wise, but when we're in fear, we're in bondage. We're slaves. and there's no confidence in that, is there? There's no, there's no way to live. But many of us live in that place, and I didn't even get to some of the issues that many of you are afraid of, and that's because I don't know what your heart is, but I know that God does. Christians, we aren't free, aren't we? We are forgiven, we are heaven-bound, but we aren't free in so many ways. Our lives are still dominated by fear, aren't they? And while the right promises to alleviate fears if they win, and the left promises to eliminate fear if they win, no matter who wins, if our confidence is in them, in the fragile, short-sighted, limited, biased promises from the right or left, if our confidence is in them, we all lose. And fear continues to reign because here's the dirty little secret that both the right and left don't want you to know. If they eliminated fear completely, they would never win again. They don't want to eliminate fear because they would lose if they didn't have fear to leverage. And y'all know I love you, but i got to do this. Anybody who leverages fear doesn't offer a true solution to fear. If anybody ever stands up in front of some big crowd and says, you should be afraid of them if I don't win, they don't offer a true solution. Because the true solution can only be found under the reign of, in the presence of only one king. And his name is Jesus. But as we've come to expect, his pathway and his promise, his solution may not be what we'd expect either. Or necessarily would like it to be. We're going to look at Matthew 10 for just a minute to find the solution. And here's the setup for Matthew 10. This is really cool. Jesus has been on the campaign trail. Huge, as some might would say, huge crowds are following. Bigger crowds than anybody's ever seen. Crowds are following him. He has his peak popularity at this point. So one day, Jesus is surrounded by this traveling band of adamant supporters, and he signals that he is going to select 12 to form an inner circle. Now, here's the, how the crowds interpreted this. He is about to elect his transition team. Oh, boy, it's about to happen. He's picking his future cabinet members. This is about to be the rollout of the kingdom. He is about to select people uh, to be at his right and left in the kingdom. These ambassadors and diplomats that kings have, he's about to select them to enforce his rule and ensure our peace. And people start cheering and shouting and thinking, wow, it's finally here. So everybody's cheering and everybody's falling over themselves, and Jesus names 12 people. He said, "I need Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Judas, Thaddeus, Thomas, Matthew, Simon, and the other James. Poor guy, the other James. I need you 12 to come to the front of the room. This is like the big convention. I'm nominating these delegates, these lay people to be ambassadors and apostles. Fireworks start going off and you know YMCA starts playing or whatever. They play at those things. And he says to the one selected, the one's not selected. He says, okay, y'all, I need to have a little private conversation with my guys. And it's for some official kingdom prep stuff. He winks at him, And usually they didn't like when he said to leave, but you know what? They think, hey, this is important. We need to let Jesus have some time with his guys because any day now we are going to be woo-hoo, large and in charge. So Jesus and his 12, he starts telling them that, uh, about an immediate plan to spread his message farther and wider to all of Judea that would take them over the next three or four years. He essentially gives them a dose. He gives them a can of his own defined authority and power. He says, guys, I'm currently demonstrating my power by showing my ability to forgive sins, by demonstrating my power over disease, over sickness, and I want y'all to have it for just a little while. Y'all are going to go around and demonstrate that y'all are with me and I'm with God, and I want you to wear this, take this, say this, and people will know for sure that this movement is from God and of God. They'll know I am God. And I mean, these guys, these 12, they're just basking in the moment. I mean, because, wow, they never dreamed that this would be what their life would lead to. And, and they could walk and with a pep in their step. Can you imagine how they felt and how pumped they were? And the Bible says they came back rejoicing of what they could accomplish in Jesus' name. They're ready to go. They're in the bullpen. They're just itching to hit the road. And, and as if their kid's about to be turned loose with, uh, out, for, out of school or for recess, As if it's like when someone gives you money and says, do what you want to with it. They're ready to go, go, go. But then Jesus says, okay, guys, there's one more thing. I need to read you the fine print before I turn you loose. As if to say, this might be the most important thing I ever say to you. Now, with that in mind, listen to verse 16 through 25 of Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Already sending by a signal here, Jesus. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men. I mean, all men. Beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils and scourge you or flog you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you... Do not worry about how you or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, father his child, children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all for my sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he be like his teacher, a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, the devil or Beelzebub, how much more will they call his household? Call those of his household. So Jesus says, before y'all go, got a little bit to tell you you're going to be betrayed arrested flogged hated exiled oh and did i mention killed still excited about this little trip this little mission next couple years and everybody's thinking whoa whoa wait, wait 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 and then jesus said but don't worry when you're in jail and you stand trial god will give you the words you need to say isn't that sweet I mean, how about God keep me out of jail? Amen? How about God keep me off of the trial? How about we take this power you gave us for others and use it on ourselves? How about God strike down all these people that want to kill us before they kill us? I mean, I don't really, you know, thank you for the words that I need to say in the moment, but how about I never get to that moment? That's better. I mean, you can picture this Jesus instills them with so much confidence in can you imagine how they just were gutted when he said this? In a moment, they went from fearless to fearful. But wouldn't we have felt the same way? Think about this. Jesus hands them the keys of the kingdom, and he warns them that hell is going to be against them. Not to mention that the world's not going to get any better. Now, he wasn't saying that every good gift is countered by a bad. He wasn't saying that we must always brace ourselves for the worst when trying to do the best. He's actually saying the opposite. He's intentionally trying to draw out that part of us that so often feels most disconnected from the hope we have in heaven. He's trying to get us to ask ourselves, if I'm saved, why am I still dominated by fear? And some of us, we struggle with this more overtly. But God wants us to get this so badly. Why is it that we can relish in eternal security in in safe, specific, controlled environments? But as soon as we face uncertainty and potential problems, we are unstable. We lose faith and we lose focus. We are so very afraid. As long as America is ran by the right kind of government, as long as my well-being isn't left out of the plan, we are so very afraid, if otherwise occurs. But remove one of those jingle blocks takes and fear takes over, doesn't it? Why can we be eternally secure, but so unstable if anything goes wrong or unexpected? How can we be so worship ready in church, but so worry ridden everywhere else? You know what I think? I think Jesus primed these guys for glory. He pumps the brakes with it risk to intentionally draw out their fears, to bait their fears to rise up so that they could So he could teach them, perhaps, his most powerful lesson ever. Because what does he say in verse 26? Therefore, do not fear them. No, that should be, so you should fear them. I mean, you know, therefore usually is a transition word. Because this, you should be this. So, I mean, hey, Matthew, can you you bring the list back up? What did Jesus say? We're going to be betrayed, arrested, flogged, hated, exiled, and did. And oh, by the way, killed. I mean, Jesus, do you ever hear yourself talk? Therefore, do not be afraid. I mean, yeah, right. And maybe that's your response to the life that you live when somebody like me shows up and says, don't be afraid. We don't need that one yet. To which Jesus leans into his uncertainty, this tension, this anxiety. He says, oh, that little thing. Oh, you think that's worth being afraid of? I'll tell you what you could be afraid of. And he he says verse 28 to them. I do not fear, he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And they think, is that supposed to calm us down? And I think Jesus is grinning when he's saying this. He gives us a reason to be afraid, but then says, don't be afraid. Then he says, here's what you should actually be afraid of if you really want to be afraid, to which we say, no, we don't want to be afraid at all. But let's cross-examine this. Didn't Jesus come to remove being afraid of God? Didn't Jesus come to give us salvation to take the risk of losing our soul away? Exactly. Exactly. So, as a Christian, eternally secure, saved, forgiven, heaven-bound, as a Christian, does verse 28 scare you? No. It doesn't have to scare you because you're in Christ. If you're saved, there's no risk of your soul being destroyed in hell. If you're a Christian, you are saved by Jesus. So verse 28 doesn't save it, doesn't scare anybody that's Christian. And maybe you see where we're going with this. Let me ask you another question. As that same Christian, heaven-bound, forgiven, and saved, and eternally secure, as a Christian, do verses 16 through 25 scare you? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, beaten, flogged, betrayed, hated, exiled, and killed? Of course that scares me. Of course that scares us. Who are you kidding Now you know and now you see what Jesus is doing here, don't you? He's trying to get us to see how upside down it is for a Christian to be at peace about eternity but be afraid of every day and everything else because we are, aren't we? And sometimes, you know, I think God sees us where we're at. I think God sees that we have it so good and we're so afraid. And I think he thinks, I need to do something. To help them out. Because we are the most afraid people in history. We're the only generation to have Social Security and 401ks and savings accounts like we have yet we're still so afraid they might go away and what our lives would be if they did. We're the only generation to have access to the best medicine yet we're still so afraid it might not work on us. We're the only generation that has the most trained law enforcement, fire departments, and emergency crews paid around the clock to protect us, yet we're still so afraid. We're the only generation that has security systems, cameras, locks, deadbolts, blinds, curtains, guns, barking dogs, Kevin McAllister's playbook from Home Alone to protect our homes. Yet we're still. So afraid even inside our homes, aren't we? We're the only generation that has three houses of federal government, multiple layers of state and local government, put in place to protect us from losing our freedom, a freedom that nobody else has ever had. And we're still so afraid, aren't we? And I think sometimes God looks down on the generations like us and says, you know, how can I help them not be so afraid? He listens to every speech and sees the books and the articles and the monologues about what's at risk. And he sees fear rising up in his people. And if we're oppressed, do you believe in heaven? Are you saved? We'd say yes, but we're still so afraid, aren't we? We don't know what to say, do we? I think sometimes God does indeed shake up these safety nets, which don't seem to be working that well anyway. I think God sometimes forces us into uncharted and unstable waters if only to put us in tune with what we really believe, who we truly trust in. I think so. Do I know? Do I think that's what 2020 has been about? I don't know. After a while, in Matthew, the scene in Matthew 10, Jesus and his disciples pull off an incredible upset. Later on, the big crowds reassemble. 5,000 men plus their wives and their children on a mountainside. Big, big rally. Big, big crowd. So Jesus sees they're all starving, and the food truck didn't show up. And it was already paid for. They bailed. And everybody's starving, and he promised them food. And people start just shouting, we want food. Maybe they did. I don't know. But they're starving. And one little boy brings a couple of fish and a couple of pieces, of bread. And Jesus says, hey, I've got a plan, guys. Here's 12 baskets. Y'all each take a basket. I'm going to crumble all this, these two fish and these five loaves of bread. I'm going to crumble this, this food up, put, them in, put it in all your different baskets. Y'all are going to start passing these baskets, this food out, and it's not going to run out. And they're thinking, no, that's not going to happen. He said, yes, remember the power? You got it. Y'all are going to go around, and all these 15,000 people are going to eat from y'all's baskets of, from this little portion of food. And they start walking through the hillside. And I mean, it's like, you know, the Vince McMahon walking out. Um, you know, they're just pep. They're just bold. And they're just thinking, wow, look at us. They're passing out food. Nobody's going nobody's to go hungry. And all of a sudden, the crowd starts chanting, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And maybe they start shouting Peter and James and John. And everybody's thinking, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. Woohoo! This is a lot better than that mess about dying. Where's the kingdom at? And then something unexpected happens, because Jesus perceives that they want to go to make him king, and they want to have a big uprising. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat. He made them. He did not want them to stay in this crowd and get swept away by the fever and by the you know all the excitement of these people that want to make them king and want to make them leaders. He pries them off of this solid ground of this shore thing and he sends them into the sea. And as the boat starts to leave shore... He says, I'll catch up with y'all later. And it's like a wind from heaven blows the boat so far into the ocean, they don't even have a chance to argue with Jesus and say, we're not going without you. And he sends them into the deep, and then nighttime comes, it's pitch black, it's stormy, the waves are beating, the wind is blowing, water's overtaking the boat, and they are panicking. They've seen this movie before, and it's getting worse. They're panicking that that they see someone walking on the waters. They think it's a ghost. They think this is the end, and they're screaming, and they're losing it, and they're so afraid. And Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he joins them in the boat. He says, he asked them a question that he would ask them so many times. He says, "Why were? Why are you so afraid? I know I know, I know you have tons of reasons, but why let them have control of you? Didn't you see that I'm in control? I mean, y'all wanted me to seize control of those crowds and make myself king. But y'all think, that's the ticket to peace. But don't you see, I'm already king? And the funny thing is, didn't you see it more clearly in this storm? Didn't you see me walking on top of the stormy waters? I know, I know, I know you have reason. I know you have a reason to be afraid. But that doesn't mean you have to be afraid, does it? Because doesn't your relationship with God prove doesn't our response to verse 28 as not being afraid of god doesn't our relationship and place in god show us that we don't have to be afraid just because we have a reason look at verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will the very hairs of your head are numbered do not fear Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I want you to get this powerful truth that we've heard before, that Jesus drops on us, that Jesus just proved for us. We don't have to be afraid just because there's something to be afraid of. That's what Jesus has been trying to get across this whole time yes fear is natural but fearful it's optional we've been conditioned for fear in so many ways our flesh is conditioned for fear a slave even but we don't have to remain afraid as verse 28 through 20 through 31 reveals to us the only reason to fear is no more because our souls are forever secure And sometimes it takes our footing being insecure to tune us in with our greater security. But Jesus wasn't done teaching them this powerful lesson. He would go on, he would be arrested. And even though the disciples tried to fight, he didn't. He was put on trial, he didn't argue, he was crucified. And what happened to the disciples? How many times did they hear, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid? You know what happened when Jesus was arrested and crucified? They hid, they hide, they lie, and they deny because they were so afraid. They unfollow and they unbelieve. But then they walked into an empty tomb. And then Jesus walked into their fear-filled tomb fear-filled upper room, and then He completes their salvation by breathing on them, into them, His Holy Spirit, which all believers would from that point forward receive at salvation. And then something changed about these fearful men. The boys were back in town better than ever. They put their faith in Jesus' resurrection promise and He put His resurrection power in their faith. And they would go on boldly proclaiming his gospel, just as he said, in synagogues, before kings, all around the world. Peter, James, John, all of them, they would be beaten, they would be flogged, they would be arrested, they would be hated, and they would be killed. But they weren't afraid, they were fearless. You couldn't threaten them with death. They didn't recklessly go looking for trouble. They weren't about their leisure. They were on mission, but the enemy was too. And he always seemed to find them. And no, they didn't have what we have at stake. They had much more at stake building the church that we're a part of today. They had no earthly safety net, but they didn't need one. They had Jesus. They had plenty of reasons to fear, but they had a greater reason to fear not. So where does that leave us? As Jesus forced us into the boat, into a storm of this year, with all that might be at stake in our lives, with our health, our safety, our election, our well-being, our security, our personal, local, national health, we are left with a choice to make. The other night, I some friends over, and being the host, which I'm really bad at, I just—I mean, I can't command the room for that long. That's a joke. I'm really bad at social settings, though. It was kind of a Halloween thing, so I thought, you know, it'd be cool to take everybody through the woods to the graveyard um, on the other side of our property. I have a graveyard behind my house. It's my great-great-grandparents. He was a preacher. Um, that uh, he was buried on our property, but long story. Uh, I wanted to take the the friends to the uh, my graveyard. Thought it would be spooky and fun. You know, it's late, and uh, we went back through talking about family history, making up some stuff too along the way. But the really, um, anyway. But as I was thinking about this, one problem came up. I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> Not of people jumping out at me. I think mean, I don't care about that. But I'm afraid of myself. I can't see. I can't see well. And lights, you know, my eyes are bad in daylight, let alone night. And going into the woods, it's just ignorant, and if I fall, I'll get hurt and embarrassed, and animals might get me or whatever. (laughs) I mean, really, you don't know what lives back there. But something came over me, and I thought, you know what? I can do this. I've been back there a hundred times. I've got a big flashlight, and I won't be alone. Yeah, I know the things that scare me are still there, but that doesn't mean I have to be afraid of them. So we went, and I wasn't afraid. You know why? Because I know the way. I had a light, and I was surrounded. I could get there with my eyes closed, because I've been there a hundred times. I know the way. I had a light, and I was surrounded by people. That love me. Guess what, Christians? We know the way. We have a light. And we are never alone. Amen. So, what choice can we make? You might not be ready for this choice. But here's a choice that you can make we don't have to be afraid. Even when, you look up even when in the dictionary, you see 2020 beside it. Even when. There's something to be afraid of. And there will always be plenty to fear, but there is a greater reason to fear not. The secret isn't just knowing this, it's knowing the reason, it's knowing Jesus. We worship a risen Lord, therefore we can fear not. Not because there's nothing to fear, but because our hearts are wired to a risen Jesus. The Apostle Peter, who failed on the waters several times, he bailed, he lied, he denied three times, would go on to become the most bold and brave of them all. Even though, and even when, he was arrested and flogged, and eventually he was sentenced to death. On house arrest in Rome, he was awaiting his death as he watched Nero Caesar set Rome on fire and burn many of his friends, kill and crucify many of his friends. Matthew, Mark, James, even the Apostle Paul, all killed. Peter sat in a house in Rome knowing that he was next. But he wasn't afraid. People said, Peter, how are you not afraid? He says, because I've been casting my anxieties and my cares on Jesus all this time. Because He cares for me and you can do this too you are of more value than the sparrows jesus was suspended over death and over hell for you and he rose back to life yes he died to save you from sin but he lives he lives he lives to save you from fear not a fear that makes us reckless and foolish but a fear that makes us confident insecure because no matter what we know the way we have a light and he's always with us let me pray for you father i love you i love you so much thank you for giving us the way the light in your presence God, I know that me saying all this doesn't make people's fear go away. Nothing's going to make that fear go away, no matter who wins an election, no matter what happens in their life, no matter what goes on in our world. The fear is real, but you are too. God, everybody in the house today has a reason to be afraid, but we've all heard we have a greater reason to fear not. This doesn't dismiss us from doing the right thing and being the right kind of person and being concerned and taking action, but it does dismiss us from fear. So Father, if anybody in the house today that is overwhelmed by fear and they want relief, God, I pray you would give them that breakthrough today and you would help them to cultivate and develop a habit of casting their cares on you. Even when they have something to be afraid of, they make a choice. I'm not going to be afraid because I have a light, I know the way, and Jesus is with me. God, if there's anybody in the house today that does not know that Jesus as their Lord, they have not been saved, and they want him as their Savior today, Lord, make the way for them clear today. For the rest of us, save us from this fear. In Jesus' name, amen.